We've all read those fantasy books where the magic system is just so unique that you can't help but rave about the book to everyone you talk to. So today I'll be sharing 18 different techniques for creating unique magic systems in your fantasy novel so that you can make your readers feel the same way. Even if you're an experienced fantasy writer, you probably haven't come across all of the techniques I'm about to share with you. And the first technique is to relate magic to social status. With this type of magic system, spells and abilities are related to a user's standing within society. So for example, Maybe the 10 most well-known people in your fantasy world have the ability to read the minds of everyone within a 100-foot radius. Or maybe a person's strength increases or decreases proportional to how much they are loved or hated. Number two, taste-based magic. This magic requires tasting and combining different flavors and substances with different taste combinations producing different spells and effects. With this system, refining and developing your food tasting palette actually makes you a stronger magician. So given that there are five primary types of taste, you've got sweet and sour, salty and bitter, and then last of all, savory, you could use that as the basis for a magic system here. And perhaps the intersection of different tastes such as sweet and sour or sweet and salty could be offshoots of powers from the five main abilities within the system. One possible magic system using this principle that comes to mind is an emotional-based magic here, where if you are tasting something sweet, it allows you to control the emotions of other people around you to make them more endeared towards you, to make them more affectionate towards you. Whereas if you're tasting something bitter, it actually gives you the ability to know if people are lying or telling the truth. This could lead to an interesting fantasy world where detective magicians craft different taste combinations to allow them to interrogate their suspects. Number three, place-specific magic. We often think of magic systems as this thing that encompasses an entire fantasy world. That is, you can use it in this country or in this country or in this location or this location, and it has the same impacts and same results in pretty much anywhere you use it. However, with a place-based system, you are kind of relegating the magic to only be effective within a certain location. For example, maybe you have this sort of shallow river that runs through this small village, and when you're standing in this river, you unlock the ability to see into the future. Number four, build your magic around a core emotion. Here, you identify a core emotion you want your magic to produce within readers, so perhaps fear or disgust or joy or excitement or terror, and you figure out how to work backwards from that to create a magic that is conducive to creating those kind of emotional experiences within the story. For example, if you build a magic system that revolves around characters having to confront their deepest fears in order to unlock certain powers, that is going to produce a response of fear or perhaps terror or even dread from your readers within the story. Number five, group reliant magic. This type of magic requires sort of elaborate group synchronization in order to function. So for example, you could have a dance-based magic system where the powers and the spells and the sorcery that the magic produces is directly related to how in sync the dancers are, how coordinated they are, how accurate they are at following each other's motions. Number six, seasonal-based magic. Put simply, this is magic that is influenced by different seasons or natural cycles. For example, you might have a magic system where the user's power is dictated by the moon's position within its cycle. So at a full moon, the magician is at their maximum strength, and then at a new moon, they are at their worst strength. The thing I particularly like about this system from a narrative perspective is it gives you tremendous opportunity for suspense and conflict. If you set the big climactic moment of your story at the worst point in the seasonal cycle, it's going to lead to a tremendous amount of suspense and read attention leading into that scene. Number seven, you can build unique magic through limitations. This is a technique I really like. Often you can actually take a somewhat cliched, overdone magic system, such as the ability to conjure water out of nowhere. 
And you can actually make it feel unique by instituting some restrictive boundaries and limitations around it. For example, maybe you have this same magic system, this idea that you can summon water, but you can only summon water while you're bleeding. And the amount that you're bleeding is directly proportional to the amount of water that you can summon. Different ways to build limitations include time restrictions, location restrictions, a dependency on a certain resource for the magic to function, legal restrictions, so maybe society actually prohibits certain types of magic as being illegal, requirements for certain rituals to be done for the magic to proceed, and there's a lot more that you can use as well. Number eight, replace modern technology with magic. Here, you basically take a function that technology provides in the modern world, and you use that as the inspiration to develop a magic system that supplies a similar result. For example, let's say you take the modern technology of air conditioning. How could this become an interesting magic system? Well, let's say you have a world of nomadic tribes that travel through the desert, and this desert is actually too hot for humans to survive without some sort of magical intervention. So each tribe has three frost touches, and when they touch you, it keeps your core temperature cool enough for you to survive for 24 hours until the frost touch wears off. Now, before I get into the next technique, and we do have a lot of cool ones coming up ahead, I wanted to quickly say that if you're not already subscribed to the channel, then you might wanna go ahead and do that right now. On this channel, I release weekly fantasy writing advice videos that draw from my experience of publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. And in a few weeks, I'll be posting my magic system contest video where hundreds of writers have sent in their ideas for magic systems to me. I haven't actually had a chance to look through the applications yet because there's honestly been, I think, like over 500 applications for this thing, which is pretty wild to me. But the winner of that competition, my favorite magic system from all those entrants, will be winning $1,000 and a one-hour coaching session with myself, which is normally something that you have to be inside my story coaching program to receive. So if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe because I think that'll be a really cool video that will give you a ton of writing inspiration. And now onto the next technique. Number nine, memory manipulation and trading. This is a type of magic that's based around altering, exchanging, and sort of transferring memories between different people. The ramifications for this are pretty interesting. You could quickly develop a sort of black market for the trading of different memories, and perhaps there's some illicit or taboo memories that you can't legally trade with other people. You could also expand this so that it's not just the memories people are forming today, but perhaps you can actually store and trade memories from hundreds or even thousands of years ago. In the way that art collectors collect these ancient pieces of artwork, you could have memory collectors within this world who are exceedingly rich nobles who collect memories from the dawn of time itself, and then they pass those down to their descendants. This memory magic could also be a cool way to develop skills. For example, let's say you're trying to plan a heist of a palace in this fantasy city. You could buy the memories of a servant who used to work in that palace to understand the layout and the location of everything within that building. Number 10, art-based magic. This magic system involves creating different magical effects through the use of art such as painting, sculpture, or even performance art, with the quality of the artwork affecting the final result. This was a magic system that I thought Sanderson did really well in Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, which I just read recently. Basically within this book, there is a magic system where stacking rocks in interesting and creative patterns summon spirits that you can then use to do your bidding. Number 11, limited use magic. Within this system, every magical user gets a set number of magical actions with no way to renew them once they are used. And once they're all used up, your powers are gone. For example, maybe every magician in your society is born with a different tattoo on each fingertip. And by activating each tattoo, it gives you a specific power, a different one each time for a minute. But once that minute is up, that tattoo is gone and you can never use that power again. You can see this builds a real sense of consequences and stakes for using magic, which from a narrative perspective is going to lead to a much more engaging and entertaining story. Number 12, work backwards from the consequences. 
Let's say you want a story about a sorcerer going crazy from their overuse of magic. With that specific narrative aim, you can now work backwards from that to develop a magic system that poisons her sanity every time she uses her powers. And as a general rule, this is a very important principle to be thinking of when you're developing a magic system for your fantasy novel. You always wanna be asking the question, how does this magic system improve my story. As a sidebar here, this is why, even though I do love unique magic systems for their own sake, they are not always required to tell a great story. Sometimes you can actually use a more typical or common magic system if it is the perfect choice for your story. Always be thinking about how this is in service to your story. Number 13, ancestral linked magic. Here, your magical strength is linked to the degree of respect and worship and adoration you give to your ancestors. So for example, by praying at your family's shrine, it maybe increases your family's uh, magical powers that are stored up. And at a later date, the ancestors, the spirit of your ancestors can decide to dole that power out to you or another one of your living family members for you to then use it in the real world. This is actually the basis for the magic system I developed in my fantasy novella, Fires of the Dead, where in this book, pyromancers bond themselves to a family's ancestral flame, this sort of massive bonfire that contains the spirit of a family's ancestors stored within the bowels of the family castle. And the size of this ancestral flame dictates how much power a pyromancer can draw from this fire to project their own flames. Number 14, a sacrificial based system. Within this system, you have magic that requires a sort of personal or moral or ethical sacrifice in order to function. To use magic, you might have to trade attributes like vitality or memories or even make ethical compromises themselves. For example, you could maybe have a magic system where every time you use it, it degrades the quality of your eyesight by 10%. And if you think back to stories like uh, Marlowe's Dr. Faustus, where Faustus makes a deal with the devil, selling his soul to the devil in order to receive certain magical abilities, that is a sort of another example of a sacrificial-based magic system, just deployed in a different sense. Number 15, interpersonal transfers. Here, magic is a zero-sum game, with people able to exchange properties or attributes from person to person. David Farland's Rune Lord series does this, with people able to exchange virtues such as brawn or grace or wit or beauty amongst each other. People who have taken many endowments, who have had many transfers of these attributes towards them, become these all-powerful remotes. Number 16, link to a natural phenomenon. With this framework, the strength or the availability of the magic is linked to a natural, uncontrollable aspect of the world. For instance, maybe a magic user grows stronger as the temperature increases, or maybe they grow stronger as the ocean's tide comes in, or as it begins to rain, or maybe when it storms. And of course, it doesn't just have to be strength here, it could be some other power that they only get to access when there are certain natural conditions unfolding around them. If you've read my book, The Thunder Heist, you'll see how I used a variation of this idea myself. And a similar concept to this is number 17, link to astronomical alignments. This occurs when you have magic that links to the position or movement of different celestial bodies or planets or constellations out in space with spells and effects tied to specific alignments and arrangements. For instance, maybe during an eclipse, you gain the ability to divine the future. Or maybe when the two moons of your planet are lined up, you gain the ability to walk through walls like a ghost. Number 18, base off a niche personal interest. 
If you have a non-common hobby or a personal fascination, you can use that as the basis and inspiration for a cool magic system. For example, let's say you're really into pottery. You might think of some ways to use sort of the principles and the experience of pottery to develop an interesting pottery-based magic system. Now, of course, building a unique magic system is just one aspect of writing a successful fantasy novel. It's also very important that you bring readers into your story in a compelling and evocative way that hooks them right from page one. So you might like to watch this video where I share six first chapter mistakes that new fantasy writers often make. Thanks for watching and I'll see you in the next video.